Well, hello, Green Team. Welcome to another episode of the Green Team Academy Podcast Live. It's Joan Gregerson here. And on this podcast, we help people get together, make a difference, and feel better. And uh, in a few minutes, we'll uh, be talking with Tony Saladino all about biochar. So that is an exciting area. Um, so he's going to be hopping in here shortly, I think. Um, but in the meantime, I wanted to give you kind of a quick heads up on some of the stuff that we have that is exciting things happening coming soon to you. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and share my screen real quick here. And um, yeah, so the 2021 International Climate Action Challenge is going to be happening this year. Last year, we had it from September 1st to November 30th. So we're on a similar schedule, getting going a couple weeks earlier. Uh, August 18th will be our kickoff. And so if you're interested in that, you can find out more at climateactionchallenge.net. And uh, this week, this time, we have this whole this whole 18 week facilitated accelerator that you can be part of. Um, and you can find out more on the website here. If you decide to sign up by March 31st, you're going to get the book, the workbook, uh, this is digital, the action plan checklist. And then during the challenge, you'll get access to the course and the portal and our, our live weekly trainings and everything that enabled all the folks from our 2020 challenge to make such a big impact. Uh, so the pricing is there that you can get 50% off of the regular pricing if you sign up, if you or your team sign up by March 31st. Um, and one of the, the bonuses that if you sign up by then, we'll also be introducing your team, your initiative during the Earth Week Summit. So that's a pretty cool thing. Um, so yeah, just wanted to make sure that I got that info to you. So let me turn that off. And uh, let's see here, we are waiting. I'm just gonna check real quick, see if I have a message or anything from Tony. Um, so hopefully he'll be Stop sharing. Okay. So hopefully he'll be joining us uh, with us pretty quick. In the meantime, let me show you a little bit about his project. And yeah, I don't know what's going on here. But yeah, let me show you a little bit about his, his project. There's Claudia hopping in. Hi, Claudia. Uh, yeah, and I hope Tony is, is uh, joining in a second. Um, but yeah, let me show you what is going on here with his project. And I'm also going to read a little bit of his bio because it's pretty amazing. Um, so Tony um, <clears throat> is a char master biochar educator, founder and guide for Eco Tours of Wisconsin and uh, as, his, as his challenge in the 2020 International Climate Change, he met his goal of creating his weight in biochar and turning that into over half a ton of biochar, enough to enrich 
four, a dozen four by 10 beds to a depth of six inches forever. He also taught a dozen biochar classes so that more people would be able to do the same. Uh, in 1987, Saladino, Tony rode his bike around all five Great Lakes, teaching people in person through TV, radio, and print publications how to live lightly on the planet and experience a higher quality of, of life at the same time. Over 10 million residents of the Great, Bakes, Great Lakes Basin heard him speak or read about his trip. Um, so that is what Tony is about, and he has this project uh, that the the link is in here. If just cutting to the chase, if you want to know more about biochar, if you support this project at a, a level of fifty dollars, then Tony is offering to do a free one-to-one -one class with you. Um, and his idea is to have this kind of leave no trace camping where people can come and learn different eco-education skills uh, together and uh, learn how to make biochar, do native tree plantings and learn all of those, um, you know, back to nature kind of cultural practices and skills. So let me see here. Oh yes, okay, great. So it looks like we've got Tony on here. This is exciting. Tony, okay, wait, I can't hear you. Let's see. Does this yeah. work? Yes. It's working? Yeah. All right. Well, we'll it's, try the it's a little, microphone. it's a little, it's not very loud, that mic. Oh. Let me see. Okay, that seems a little better. Normally, my headset mic is enough. Uh, you might be able to change. You might be able to change the settings. Um, there's a little gearbox there that says camera and mic. Yeah. I tried the audio. That sounded pretty good. It did? Is yeah. It yeah. Maybe it's using the headset mic. Yeah, I think it is. Um, no. Okay. Maybe <laughs> you just had to adjust to this. Yeah, right. Your handheld. That'll work for me. That sounds good. All right. Well, welcome, Tony. I'm so glad this worked out. I am too. I'm very glad to be here. Yeah. Yeah. This is this is perfect. So yeah. While while you're getting all situated, I've just given people just reading your bio and showing the fund the GoFundMe page. I saw um, a little about that, and I appreciate you sharing. I appreciate all the work you've done uh, for over a year, uh, getting all this kind of tied together and. The links made, the networking. Uh, you're yeah. like, the, you're like the fungal hyphae of <laughs> the whole thing. That's the best compliment I've ever had. Well, they do so much. They communicate. They transfer important uh, resources where they need to go. Uh, that's that's so great. You know what, Tony? One year ago today is when I started uh, the program to write the book. Awesome. So That's beautiful. Thank you so much for that effort. Yeah. So in one year, we've got the book going, the workbook, and the, the 2020 International Climate Action Challenge resulting in all these, you know, thousands of trees and new, you know, the new gardens and new farms and everything. Um, so I, I was excited to read about what you had done because I know you were moving or something in the middle of all that. So yeah, that was... Um, the past year, I sold two houses, moved out of both of them, 
uh, my mother's house had to be sold and moved out of. So three houses, technically. Oh, my and, gosh. Yeah. Well, you're making, making room for a new, new fresh stuff. start in 2021. Absolutely new stuff. So, so let's, we're going to talk about two things today. One is biochar. I, I mean, I'm, we're going to talk about everything. Everything's connected, but we're going to talk about biochar and then we're going to talk about this, uh, this eco center idea that you have. Um, and yeah, Lisa says this, that is the best compliment ever. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she's a she's a. I'm sure more people recognize it than just Lisa. It, right, she's a native plant uh, um, expert with all this oh, stuff. Um, she knows but, the full extent, then. Exactly. Um, so, let me but just go through a real quick: who, what, where, when, why, how. Yeah, but biochar. Yeah, and Tony, like I had, you know, uh, I got a response to an email that says, "Hey, doesn't biochar involve burning wood? And so, isn't that putting carbon?" into the atmosphere and aren't there other ways and so yeah that would that would be great if you want to take it away and i'm not sure if you want to screen share or you just want to talk either way is really good i don't mind screen sharing i'll probably be just looking at my notes a lot so not a lot to look at but yeah i'm happy to share <laughs> okay so either oh, what you I mean as far as like a slideshow or something yeah no i'm good uh just okay describing it for now okay that uh, sounds in yeah, the links that's... at the end uh, if you go through the GoFundMe site to the oldest update, that's where you find the slideshow about biochar. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and I think this link is already in the the notes. I'm just going to go ahead and put that in the um, the comments though now. Okay. And what so what you were saying was if anybody wants a link to your to the slides about it. It's in the first update on the, the GoFundMe. And I, I did mention if they want to do a, a class with you, they want to find out more yep. if they donate uh, 50 bucks or more to your um, project that you will that you can uh, do a one-to-one -one with them. So, yeah, so tell us about biochar. It's just like this ancient thing that's that's uh, getting some attention, and we need a, we need a char master to... It is an us. ancient thing. It is an ancient thing. Um, the archaeological research now puts it at, at over 9,000 years that we've been making this material and teaching other people about making this material. Uh, it's an older technology than written language to put some perspective to it. Basically, what we're doing is creating a network of small tubes in the soil. So it's a permanent structure that's physically made of carbon. Uh, I have models that I share around at my classes. It's just a bunch of toilet paper tubes that are joined together. So all of these tiny little pores exist at the microscopic level, but the microbes that live on them are the important critters that we're trying to expand the population in the soil. Uh, and the water holding capacity of the char is six times its weight in water. So we're creating these little tubules filled with nutrients, minerals, uh, basically emulating soil in every way we can, and then adding microbes to that. Once the microbes are thriving, we add it into the soil, and uh, it supercharges the availability of nutrients for plants because the organisms uh, produce 
exudates that directly feed the plant roots. And the plant roots, roots also exude liquid carbon, which many of these microbes use as food source. So it's kind of facilitating the carbon pathway, both in the incoming carbon, as well as the carbon that comes out. Uh, and it slows the release of water, nutrients, uh, and that reduces your need for irrigation uh, and fertilization. So I've been doing this for about a dozen years. I learned about it first through archaeology. Uh, and when I was a child, I committed my entire life to healing the rift between humans and nature. Uh, when I turned 21, I rode my bicycle around the Great Lakes uh, to teach people about living better for less, uh, what later became known as uh, sustainability. I was talking about in sheer economic terms, uh, home economics, how to make your garden feed you, how to live in accord with nature rather than at odds with it. Uh, and all these things come into play. Uh, when I started to learn about biochar, I found that this is a good way to put carbon into the soil. Uh, regarding the email where they questioned, don't you have to burn something to make char? Uh, there are ways to make char without a lot of uh, burning of wood. Uh, the wood itself releases about half of its energy uh, in the form of flammable gases as you char it. And there are technologies that use that energy to make electricity or uh, run other environmental uh, other processes, process equipment, heat process, water. Uh, so there's a lot of different ways that the energy in the wood can be utilized where you're not just spewing carbon. The other part is half of your original biomass and all, all the carbon that was in that biomass stays in the ground forever. So if you do release a small amount to the atmosphere in the short run, it's offset by a material that never leaves the soil. Uh, we've actually found garden beds enriched over 9,000 years ago uh, that are still more productive today than adjacent soils that did not get the biochar added. Um, the way this works is uh, because it is creating those microscopic tubules, you're adding 14 acres of surface area to the soil with every handful, every handful of char has 14 more acres of surface area. And the goal in processing it, the reason I call myself char master is because I've developed ways of getting the broadest spectrum of organisms to take up residence in the char and thrive before releasing it into the environment. Uh, if you put just freshly made char into the soil, it'll actually destroy the integrity of the soil in the short run because it's absorbing all the nutrients, it's absorbing all the moisture, trying to get saturated to the point that microbes can grow on it. I do all that work before I release the char, so it's emulating soil the minute it goes in. Um, this kind of waxes into the reason we're starting the environmental school, and I just want to take a quick stop and ask Joan, are there any other questions that have come in? Do you have questions? Uh, 
Um, are you going to talk about um, how you actually, you know, like if people should actually be making this? I, I think that's that's a big thing is wondering, you know, there's there's a lot of because of the processing that's kind of higher temperatures and should people be doing it or should they be buying it or, you know, how do you know? So that I think that's that's a big question. Well, a lot of it depends on scale. And as you get larger, uh, of course, the benefits get larger by making it yourself because you don't have to pay transport costs. Uh, you don't have to trust that someone far away is doing it to the standards you would like them to. Um, there's real easy ways to tell if you're getting good char or not, and that's to talk to the producer and ask him if he uh, can send you some that's not enriched in any way. Um, it'll end up feeling a little bit glass-like, and it's uh, real similar to the high-end charcoals that you can buy uh, at your grocery store. Around Wisconsin, we have uh, a lot of charcoal sold at liquor stores. Uh, so you can tell this type of charcoal because it looks like a tree got burned. If it's a briquette or in some strange shape that doesn't look like wood, don't bother with that. Get the stuff that you can tell used to be wood. They roasted it. That's the char that we want to start with. And then if you want to make it yourself, you just have to get it hot enough to glow, but not allow air in to contact with it while it's glowing because it'll turn to white ash and you want to preserve the black ash. So anytime you make a campfire, if you just douse it out with water, you can use a rasp and rasp off the surface where it's black. And that's the exact same thing I'm making on a larger scale. When I do it in a retort, it's to keep it super clean. There's virtually no emissions other than the hydrogen and oxygen, which burn off. Um, and retort process is very clean. You're not putting any noticeable carbon into the atmosphere. So what, what is a retort, actually? It's a place where you can heat it up without letting any air into it. So it's an oxygen-free environment that you can heat that material up until it glows and let it cool, and no oxygen ever touches it. So you have 100% black ash and no white ash whatsoever. And so what is the, how are you heating it? What's your fuel for, where does the heat energy come from? You can use electric furnaces, you can use gas, you could use, I mainly use wood because it's readily available. Okay. I usually get enough that I junk pick off the side of the road from mm -hmm. other people's construction projects or whatever. Um, I almost never buy any wood for fuel. It's just too abundant. And so, so the wood that you're burning, so is, is that releasing some carbon? Yes, definitely. And, and so that's the, so, so you're saying that the trade-off though, between the amount of um, carbon that's released by burning that mm -hmm. for that process is um, offset by Absolutely. the- mm -hmm. Absolutely. The, the short term, you do release some carbon. But in the long term, you've taken carbon and transformed it so that it will never leave the soil. If you have a giant redwood and it blows down in the woods somewhere, eventually it'll rot away and all that carbon goes in the atmosphere anyway. 
So you can love trees all you want, but that's not the solution because every tree is eventually going to fall down and the majority of the carbon in it is going to go back into the air. I'm saying that the carbon, once you roast it and turn it into pure carbon, no organism eats it or digests it. If it's eaten by a worm, it comes out unchanged, except it's full of worm castings, filling the little pores. Gotcha. And it goes into the earth again, and it loses the carbon that was in the worm castings over time. But the structure, uh, it's like a Gaudi cathedral. There's all these vertical striations and tubules. <laughs> That's uh, a great image, yeah. Ca cave upon cave upon cave for these microbes. Uh, you can fit 10 bacteria across, like just across one tubule. You can have 10 bacteria lined up across the diameter of the tube. Hmm. Like these are in, intensely small, but bacteria are even smaller. So. Right. And so, <laughs> and so the basic equation then is that you invest a little um, carbon offset in the process. You sure do. But yeah. your investment is that you are then um, sequestering your that that amount of carbon that went into that tree or whatever it is that you're processing mm -hmm. is then captured and and has. So there's two things. One, it prevents it from decaying and um, releasing carbon. But in the other thing that it's doing is it's, it's restoring soil health and creating this whole uh, lodging condos <laughs> for, for good bacteria Absolutely. forever. Absolutely. Underground, that's, yeah. Eco that's a common way that I describe it. Uh, it is like condominium complexes. <laughs> when you put uh, the nutrients in, that's like stocking the, uh, the refrigerators. Mm. And then you want to make sure you put minerals in too. Like some people use rock dust or uh, loess, wind-blown soil is very high in minerals. I usually mm -hmm. add loess, rock dust, and uh, sometimes even like a teas or special composts that I make out of plants that I know are very high in specific minerals. I'll put those into the char, and that's like filling the bar, free, uh, the bar fridges. <laughs> You know, you've got, your, you've, yeah. <laughs> you've got your main refrigerator for basic sustenance, but then for the party, <laughs> you need the bar fridge too. Of course, exactly. So it's just okay, a cool. way to remember once you get all that stuff going, then you have a party for those microbes, all yeah. the different trophic levels, all the creatures who feed on them, creatures who feed on those creatures. And it's like kickstarting the ball game you know somebody gotcha. has to throw out the first pitch gotcha so we're making sure everybody the fans are in the stands the team's on the <laughs> the field and then you add the microbes and everything happens because of them gotcha um so you know the the topic that we came up with when you and i were talking was like okay there's we're covering a lot here but it's it's cool because i think people that are in this space understand that there's no you know, that is the point is that everything is connected. And so, so basically your story is, you know, you dedicated your life to, to educating people and, and healing this rift. You found 
biochar is one way to do it, but kind of circling back, your, your, your idea of the center is to have this kind of holistic experience. This really, I think, is a transformational experience that people could come to this space and heal personally, but also see all the kind of the potential. Absolutely. Uh, biochar is one of those things where uh, it's like any medicine. At a certain rate, it's really good for you. But if you go to pure biochar, you're going to create so many problems over the long run. It's not worth it to try and get it so heavily. Uh, like you wouldn't want even a 50-50 mix in your agricultural land because it's just too much territory. And you'd eventually have to feed the bacteria more than, uh, than could keep them healthy because they would outnumber you so much. Uh, the general application rate is one uh, ton, a metric ton per hectare, which works out to one ton for every two acres. It seems like a very small amount when you start looking at how much soil weighs and uh, how much water is in soil. Uh, if you only need a thousand pounds on an acre, a lot of people think, oh, that won't do anything. You know, it's such a small amount, it'll have no effect. But it actually has a huge effect because in a ton, how many handfuls is that? How much surface area and permanent structure was added to the soil just from even 1% change? And uh, I was just reviewing my numbers. 1% uh, change in organic matter in soil can hold 28,000 gallons of water per acre. So a lot of our flood issues, uh, a lot of our erosion issues are uh, largely caused because this water is not infiltrating. It's hitting the ground, taking some soil and running away with it. So if we can allow the soil to breathe more, be more open, absorb that extra uh, moisture, it changes the whole ecosystem for the better. And that's just one uh, effect of taking a longer look at what we're doing to the earth around us. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and Lisa, Lisa had this question. I was wondering about that too. You had mentioned, and we probably don't wanna to go too far into this because I wanna make sure we talk about the center. But I was wondering, so where where are um, you know where where did you see when you said you kind of found it from an archaeological standpoint? The first time I heard about it, uh, the research was on territory that was developed between three thousand five hundred years ago and three thousand years ago, and that was in the Amazon basin. Um, in the U.S., Cahokia. Uh, the mound culture near St. Louis. And uh, I believe I haven't seen facts of it, but I'm not gonna go digging in garden beds that are uh, native cultural sites. It's just not my style. Um, <laughs> the Menominee Nation here in Wisconsin had notoriety for centuries as being able to grow corn at a farther north latitude than any other tribe. And I'm convinced that they were using char as well in their garden beds. And uh, like I said, I'm not going to 
prove it with science because I'm not that kind of archaeologist. I'll let other people do that. <laughs> right, um, right. I, I honor the cultural aspect of an untouched uh, historical garden bed. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to go digging around. But yeah. people who have dug around at Cahokia found their garden beds had char. Hmm. So uh, I can't say anything bad about that. Yeah. The, the older time period, as I said, when I first heard about it, they were only back about 3,500 years. And uh, the areas 9,000 years ago, uh, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, if you want to believe that, um, were enriched with char. Wow. And there are other places across Mesopotamia uh, and the Arab world where they have used chars mm. in the past. And even into current modern times, if you go to Laos, Cambodia, Vietnam, in the hill country, they're still making char. They're still using char, just like their ancestors did uh, mm. thousands of years ago. So it's really, it's really global. And it probably is, like you said, one of those technologies that probably just hasn't really been looked for in well, order to... We truly have a cultural bias. Uh, cultures that are, quote, primitive, unquote, often have more intact culture than we can imagine. Yeah. And, hey, I have a question, Tony. Yes. Do you think, like, when, when these big wildfires happened in Australia or California and probably elsewhere in the world, um, I think Germany, um, what... Is there any, is, is biochar being made in any of that or, or is it? It absolutely is being made. All you have to do is have an intense enough fire that it burns away all the oxygen. And on a large enough scale, when you have fires miles across, there's absolutely no oxygen that can make it to the middle, mm. only the heat. And if you heat the dry woody material, to between uh, 450 and 500 degrees centigrade, about 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit at the top, um, it will glow. Uh, I'm sure you've all looked into a campfire when it gets to the seething coals. It's just, you can kind of see as the air gets to the gases, it burns it, and otherwise it's putting light out. That's the temperature. Right. Oh, okay. You douse it out uh, yeah, with water, was, and then you have black char. You know why I was wondering about that is we've been going up to a cabin uh, in Colorado here, and there was a, a fire one year and then floods the next. Mm -hmm. And that, I noticed that, that like on the path, that there's this black stuff that hasn't changed Mm -hmm. in like 10 years since it got washed up. And so that's probably... Um, that, that's char that nature is trying to turn into biochar. But nature has very, very, very slow processes. Mm. The processing of the char is in some ways the most important part. And when I do that, after the microbes go in, I stir and keep the moisture steady for about six weeks. Stirring, oh, okay. stirring, stirring, because those tiny little microbes, if they have to grow side by side by side by side by side, it'll take them forever to cover 16 acres mm. in every handful. 
and I'm making giant buckets of it. Gotcha. So the stirring action helps move the microbes farther in five minutes. Right. Than they could move in 500 years. Gotcha. They're too tiny. Um, Lisa had a good question, too, of when when you're actually applying biochar, let's say that you do no-till agriculture, mm -hmm. but then you're going to apply biochar. How does that actually, how are you actually applying it? And are you like tilling the soil or what's the, what's the application process like? One thing about the biochar, it's very different than char. If you just take the char, like I said before, and it doesn't have the microbes in it, it's not really a preferred food of anything. Uh, mm -hmm. Earthworms might take a little bit of it occasionally once in a while, but it's not going to be motile in the soil. Okay. If it's full of all this life, every other creature is going to want to have a part of that. So some drag it away, some eat it. The earthworm takes a big healthy bite and goes somewhere else. So he's moving it. Um, and you really don't need to till it in and get it evenly spread as much because nature will take care of that once the biome says, hey, this is a resource. We can use it. It's going to so It's more a surface application. You can put it on the surface, although you always want to keep it under mulch. Oh, okay. Sunlight, sunlight is the enemy of the soil microbes. Gotcha. So I never let my char uh, get direct sun on it uh, from the time I make it to the time it goes in the ground. And the minute it's in the ground, I cover it with mulch. I see. Okay, um, so you don't necessarily and, have to be digging down, but you do want to cover it with some kind of mulch. Right. right. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, the other important thing about that, I do uh, open the soil with a broad fork from time to time, but that's the most tillage I ever do. Gotcha. I, would, I would much rather have a high uh, dead root uh, network, a mm -hmm. high percentage of dead roots lending to the soil uh, structure than to have opened it gotcha. artificially. And if I do uh, take a broad fork and kind of break the soil open, I'll sprinkle char along the, the gap because there's going to be air and water infiltrating down into those cracks that I made and the char will be there as well. Gotcha. So okay. Creatures, okay, cool. Stay alive. So yeah, but, so let's, let's talk about the center. Tell, yes. tell a bit about that mm -hmm. and how... I just want to say one yeah, more go ahead. thing before we leave the subject of the yeah. char. Um, it's just like with the, I believe it's a Chinese pro proverb, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The second best time is now. And it's the same with the char. I'm halfway, a little over halfway through my 20 years of making it. All of it was important, but the next batch that I make is the most important. You have to keep the ball rolling. Once it's going, you have to keep it going. Um, and that kind of gets into uh, the information about the school, the outdoor school. Um, I'm not sure how many people are familiar with Firefox. It used to be a magazine, and now it's uh, kind of a living learning center, uh, like a living history museum of Appalachian culture. And you can find them at foxfire.com. Um, but I imagine something similar to that, kind of an all-ages summer camp, 
combined with a resort, there'll be opportunities for hiking, biking, canoeing, camping, but also this intact permaculture kind of village where things are happening, their skills being exhibited. People can watch, oh, this is what they're using for natural dye. Oh, what do the edible, you know, we're having a mushroom hunt. What do the edible mushrooms look like? What do, uh, what do the livestock do when it's getting to be winter? You know, how do they survive? What, if we're demonstrating all the things necessary to have an intact uh, environmental situation that supports diverse and abundant life, People can come in and see the different aspects of that. Well, how do you get your water? Or what do you do with your waste? Or what is, how do you compost when there's wild animals around that want to eat your leftovers? You know, those kind of questions, we can show them, well, you can take this technology back and do it on 10 square feet on your patio. You can take this technique and actually bring it right into your living room. Uh, Here's something that you can use if you have a half acre backyard, you know. So by being a living example, a lot of people learn much better in a more hand over hand way where they're integrating it slowly, living it as a process and seeing the results of their actions. So. I love this because, you know, I think our like higher education, you know, as you said, like the cultural bias that uh, there's a great uh, vignette in um, Robin Wall Kimmerer's book, uh, Braiding Sweetgrass, mm. where she talks about how the elder indigenous women would go and cut the, I think it was the sweetgrass um, at these regular intervals and and it would increase the yield. And there was, you know, like the PhD dissertation group was like, that's ridiculous, that could never work. And it was this kind of white male dominated, you know, paradigm and her and her uh, student or grad student that was also a woman kind of pushed through, but they really had to push through all that. At the end of the day, it's like, yeah, the elder women were right. and. And there was, you know, a couple different ways to do it, and both of them worked better than, uh, than the current thinking. So I, I like the idea that higher education is, is straight from nature, and this that this is how wisdom has always been passed on, is one person to the next in as a student of nature, right right there so this learning, this living classroom uh is very cool well, one of my mentors 20 or 30 years ago used to always talk about how when humans started the organization of society was the fire pit mm. because you had to cook there it was the only light after dark you raised the kids there you told the stories there basically stirring the pot of life. And what we've done in modern times is we sequestered those fires away inside our water heaters or inside our furnace, or if we use electric heat or electric water heating, it's coming from a 
thing far, far away that's pumping the electrons through a wire from right. that wire to make our, our hot. And we've lost touch with anything that binds the house together. The word house is from hearth. The hearth is what made home. There were no homes before hearth. So why did we sequester it far away? Hmm. We can't see it or understand the fire or what happens. And the primitive people, because they lived their life around the fire, they said, hey, do you know the difference between the black and the white ash? <laughs> That's a thing. Because they knew it. Right. It wasn't like anybody was telling a story to somebody and making stuff up. This was like a real thing for them. Yeah. And yeah, that direct, right, the direct experience. Yeah. yeah. And when you notice those differences, it's hard to go back into your box and deny that it's maybe not as true as you thought it was. Or yeah. maybe it's balanced by another truth that's just as important because uh, every other creature, its whole job is to be the best creature of that kind that it can be. Whether it's a deer or a snake mm -hmm. or a lizard, it has no underlying motivation or uh, cynical uh, belief system <laughs> that gets in the way of them figuring out what would make them a better deer. They just get out there and do it. <laughs> so if you're in nature more and you see more of that, wouldn't you make a person that more closely approximated the best person you could be? Yeah. I mean, we don't have to think about it. We do because we can talk and we think right. great things by thinking about it. But when you finally get down to brass tacks, it's whether you're doing what humans need to do. Exactly. Yeah. Love each other, care for each other, watch well, out for the environment. Well, and I think, yeah, this is also why I'm so excited about like what, you know, the, the climate action challenge idea is it gives people a way to get out of their, you know, worry for one thing. And just if all you did was you got 10 people together and you planted one tree in 90 days, that that would be huge, right? Compared it's a to a tree that. that wasn't there before. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that, it's great. And that you're in relationship with the tree now and you're thinking about yeah. the tree and you're, yeah. you know, you're wondering how's the tree doing and you're, 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 making that kind of, as you said, healing the rift uh, yeah. between humans and nature. So one of our early planting events with eco tours, we took about a dozen people out and we were planting trees and we had stopped for our morning break. I think some snacks were going around. We were all rehydrating and just sitting enjoying where we were. Uh, it was not quite a monoculture, but there wasn't a lot going on in the place we were planting and uh one of these little tiny trees like seven eight inches tall a bird came and landed on it and we all looked and we're like how in the world it's not been in the ground 20 minutes how did that bird number one find that tree think it was important to come sit by us for a minute right it figured out we brought the tree i think I mean, oh I'd like, like to think it knew that. Uh, and then just before it took off to fly, it dropped a little packet of nutrients <laughs> right where the roots of the tree had just been planted. And I was like, there you go. 
<laughs> that's, in a nutshell. That's, that's what I was trying to say. This bird just demonstrated it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And so, yeah, so, so with the center, so it's 80 acres, it's in Wisconsin. Yep. And um, it's completely surrounded by national forest. Uh, and there's a big push right now within the National Forest Service to have demonstration projects about sequestering carbon, not only for agriculture, which we'll be able to do some, but also for forestry. Mm. And these forests, when they got stripped off, Wisconsin lost its trees once already. Mm. So all the nutrient, all the carbon that was in all those trees that built Milwaukee and Chicago, all that is gone and it's not coming back. So we need to build, actively build soil back that left. Right. That carbon is gone forever. And I feel a responsibility to at least show someone this is what happens when you switch the paradigm to I'm going to give back. I'm going to give back. I'm going to give back and I'm going to take a small portion as my reward. And from the great abundance that's built up in doing that, then it becomes a problem of how do I distribute this so that everybody can get the most out of it. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, when you're talking about like deers and, you know, squirrels, I always think like a squirrel, you know, they're like all these other species, they're not powered by anything but just solar and wind and water and so why why did we get the idea that we have to do all this other stuff when we can see in front of us that none of the other species need you know need a lot of the things that we feel that we we have to have and and i i think what you're talking about one of the big things i think is a problem with a lot of the environmental movement is that you know, you sign up for something and then they send you a, a bunch of mailings asking for money. And even if you were able to fund, let's say the defense for a river or something like that, mm -hmm. you didn't, if you didn't personally transform, then you, how can we transform our world if we're not transforming? And what right. you're talking about is giving people a transformative experience. Uh, that would actually be my highest goal. Absolutely. Um, in 1987, I rode my bike around all five Great Lakes to teach about sustainability. And I talked to over 10 million people using TV, uh, radio, newspapers, magazines. And I actually got coverage from newspapers and magazines I didn't even know about. Like, just the ones I know about were 10 million people. And each one of those people may not have transformed from that, but it gave them a little bit more resources so that when it came time to transform, they were more prepared for what was going to happen. Um, maybe they just learned how to recycle. That's something. Yeah. Maybe they just decided to have a fire pit party on Friday night every week with their kids. That'd be a huge thing. And that would transform so many other parts of their life. Just if they made a commitment to say, no, I'm going to sit outside in nature for three hours every week. Yeah. It couldn't be bad, right? <laughs> 
Well, right. It is that reestablishing the, the relationships. Um, all right. So, so I mentioned earlier, if you want to know more, dig into the details about biochar, get your questions answered, talk specifically about your situation and and understanding because there there are a lot of details. I mean, I've, I'm one that I've watched like five different YouTube videos on biochar and I'm like a little more confused than when I started. And so so having somebody that you could say, okay, this is my situation and here's what I'm thinking and what should I do? That's super helpful. And then if you choose to do that, that you'd also be supporting this the this project coming to fruition. Um, so yeah, that's cool. So is there any last thing that we should um, mention, Tony? Is is getting reaching you by the fundraiser or the GoFundMe, or is there another? What other contact info do you want? Well, I'm available on Facebook, and okay. it's more it is more social than business oriented, and I tend to do more with my email. Uh, for business, but anybody who contacts me through the GoFundMe page, I'll definitely give them more information. If they want to contact me directly, they can use Facebook, email. Um, I try to be as open and available as possible, um, but also remember, I need to at least make ends meet at the end of every month like everybody else. So <laughs> if it's worth something, give something back. Yeah, no, I love I love this idea. Like you said that, you know, the during the pandemic that it's the same with me, like writing a book and not having a book tour, yes. <laughs> you know, it's like, all right, well, we'll just do something different. We'll just have an international challenge. But, you know, you so for, in your case, OK, you can't do that other thing, but you can hop on a Zoom call with somebody. Um, Absolutely. Yes. So. And I do have Zoom availability uh, if it takes us. I think there's a 40 minute limit to what my free thing can do, but we can do two or three sessions if it takes that long. I'm infinitely flexible <laughs> and that's primarily because I have resilience and I've had resilience modeled for me by nature for over 50 years. So yeah. I, I trust in mimicking nature. It's been around longer than me and it's going to survive longer than me. So I should take as many lessons as I can from it while I'm here. Amen. So that whole thing about resilience, I just want to get the information out. I'm one of those fungal hyphae just like you. Um, <laughs> constantly networking, constantly finding better resources, cast off resources, overlooked resources. Um, and then when you put the life into it, if you haven't seen it, there's a video of a room full of mouse traps. And each mousetrap has two ping pong balls in it. And then a brave soul throws one ping pong ball into the room. And you can kind of imagine what happens. Yeah. It's, it's like a breeder reactor of life. <laughs> and that frenzy and activity in nature helps feed other relationships constantly. There's no end to the relationships that get developed. Yeah, and I, I think that's the thing is like, yeah, be that person that throws the ping pong ball, you know, get just get in there and uh, and, yep. and do something, uh, make something happen. All I, right. Okay. I just want to say one tiny little thing at the yes, very yes. end. I'm sorry, but uh, 
I heard just the other day that uh, in primitive cultures, sometimes they spend as little as one, uh, as little as one calorie of energy to harvest five calories of food. And if you're sitting up in a giant cab of a huge harvester driving down the road harvesting corn, you're spending up to 200 calories expended for every calorie that you bring home. Wow. So we're subsidizing the heck out of this fossil energy nightmare. And all we need to do as people is step back, think twice, and do the best we can with what we have. That's what I would encourage everyone to do. Yeah, you I can with what you have. I I mean I think like seeds. Like if we, if we can't be amazed at a seed that then can grow into like a tree and produce thousands of fruits with each you know hundreds of seeds and it's like yeah. it's showing us our return on invest. You know nature's way of doing it is just beyond our human economics and to keep remembering that yep i'm not a big fan of sharing bible stories but i think there's one about a mustard seed uh the tiniest thing you can imagine that the poppy seed or the mustard seed it creates this huge thing like i look at peas and beans i'm like this is going to be six feet tall in, <laughs> in a couple months it took me 20 years to get to be, I'm not even six feet tall yet. It's over 20 years I've been waiting. You just wait a few more. You'll get there, don't worry. <laughs> Eat more peas and beans. I think I'm on the sliding down side. Yeah, but right, that's the thing that, right, there's these miracles all around us. And if we, the more we're in contact and can be reminded, yeah, this is, this is abundance and prosperity. Um, direct, indirect relationship with nature. So Absolutely. Search awesome. for my name at GoFundMe and uh, let me know what you're doing. Sounds I'd great. love to know. Awesome. All Thank right. Okay. Well, terrific. And thanks, everybody, for popping in. Lisa and Wanda and Claudia. And um, yeah, and thanks so much, Tony, for all that you're doing. I'm glad we got a chance to do this. And um, yeah, look for Tony C. Saladino uh, for his the GoFundMe. And remember, everybody, the time for action is now because there is no planet B. See you soon. Okay. <laughs> Bye.